Good morning, everybody. This is the Marcus Today Members Podcast on Thursday, 25th of January, and it is Australia Day tomorrow. We will be on holiday. We will do a very brief email in the morning, but that's all just to cover what the US market did overnight. ASX is closed tomorrow. In light of that, I think you'll find Saturday is going to be a little light on as well from myself and Henry, but we will still be doing a weekend newsletter. And so it continues today, ASX 200 up again, up four points yesterday, up 20 today. We've been up 32 at best, and it is all to do with resources today. There is the suggestion that the Chinese are going to cut rates again, cut the RRR reserve requirement ratio for banks in the next couple of weeks and that is helping resources generally the resources sector up almost one percent today bhp is up 1.1 percent rio up 1.6 percent there is a buy signal on resources we've also had some production numbers from fortescue metals as well and they have been well received production guidance maintained and that's after shipping nearly record levels of iron ore in the first half and the share price is up 1.7 percent as hopefully you know We bought the FANG yesterday in the strategy portfolio. We had 10% cash sitting around in the strategy portfolio. So we put it into the FANG, hoping that the results season from big tech which is happening this week and next week mostly next week kicks off another rush of blood in the ai space and encouraging that thought was the guidance upgrade from tsmc on chip demand and particularly ai chip demand a couple of weeks ago and also the upgrade in apple from i think it was bank of america ahead of the results which suggests maybe they've got a bit of a vibe that the results are going to be good and it seems the glass is half full as we run into the results season everybody wants to believe the best the market is rallying so let's go with it so we bought the fang and with the market rallying we also bought macquarie yesterday in the macquarie one stock portfolio we sold it when the market was looking floppy at the beginning of this year but as we come back or not as we come back in the last four days the market is showing signs of life so we've got back into macquarie rather than sit back rather than sit back in denial and do nothing you have to be decisive so we're back in that the risks aren't high i have to say of buying macquarie prefer to be in and out when the market's behaving itself bhp still is well off the top not really trusting this chinese stimulus rally so haven't bought that back yet, but obviously missed the last couple of days, three days, in fact, of resources recovering. Whilst I'm here, a couple of other little things worth mentioning. Our ResMed had results in the US overnight. We don't hold it in the growth portfolio, but I know a lot of you do. It was one of the obvious recovery situations last year along with CSL and recover it has it was down at $21.14 it's up to $28.76 from the bottom in the middle of last year and is up 7% today so well done everybody who bought ResMed we don't hold it as I say in the growth portfolio obviously should have done but that's a sentiment positive for the market today and for the other healthcare favorites CSL Cochlear mineral resources also in the lithium space although of course they are iron is up 6% today, defying the lithium trend. They have production numbers, volume and cost guidance retained, and they were so 
saying that their lithium operations are still profitable at current prices. That could change, of course, but a bit of relief in an otherwise rather testing period for anyone to do, anyone who's got anything to do with lithium. Mineral resources are near their 52-week low. They are up actually 5.3% today. They are down from $96.97 to $58 since the beginning of last year. And whilst there's a short-term rally, I wouldn't be buying into it, not until the lithium price turns. If you want to play iron ore, you can do it in the other stocks. As you've doubtless seen, we saw the Dow Jones down yet again, down 99 points overnight. But the S&P and NASDAQ managed some small rises. Nasdaq's, sorry, the Dow Jones struggling with a few results. Verizon down 2.25%. 3M down another 2.98%. Has left the Dow Jones just dragging its heels compared to the other US indices. So futures were up 18 this morning. We are up 12, pretty much in line with what you would expect. Right. I am making a couple of points today. One is to do with Domino's. Domino's dropped 30% this morning on the first half results, which missed expectations. With weakness, particularly in Asia and Europe, there are already broker target price downgrades. One broker downgrading from $65 target price from $65 to $50. And earnings forecast being cut around 10%. The company has retracted its guidance for 2024. Thank goodness we don't hold it. We easily could have done. It's been trending up from the middle of last year. This is a $5 billion company. It is just incredible to me that a $5 billion company can drop 30% in a day. It's That's a reflection, of course, of the possibly oversensitivity of some of the algorithm traders where falls beget falls and rises beget rises. So it could easily get overdone. But it is incredible to me that a $5 billion company can drop 30% in a day in this market. It really does emphasize the risk in individual stocks and is once again a great advertisement for the low volatility of passive ETFs. This stock is down from $167 to $40. As I say, it had been trending up since the middle of last year, so technically you might have been quite comfortable in it. And if you've been reading the broker research, it would also have given you a feeling of comfort. The only broker that was giving half a vibe that something was wrong was UBS, who had a $42 target price. Well done, that analyst. The rest of them, compared to today's price, the rest of them, like Morgan's, had a target price 21% above the share price today. Morgan Stanley, 65%. City, 48%. Macquarie, 41%. And Audminette, 65%. So nobody knew. Everybody, except for UBS, was wrong. So what chance have you got It used to be that companies would manage the news flow by whispering in the ears of brokers who would quietly adjust everybody's expectations prior to an announcement. But in the days, these days of continuous disclosure, companies have been putting out or there is this confession season ahead of the results season where companies, once they've seen the pre-audited set of results and know that the market is wrong one way or the other, 
there's this confession season a month ahead of results season where companies, having seen their numbers, put out announcements saying results are going to be better or worse than expected. But it seems even now, even that confession season has got very skinny. And I think what companies are doing now is just saying what whatever it is, it is. And there's no fudging it. There's no smoothing it. You just have to dump it and dump the facts and dump them when you know them. And that seems to be the world we're in in the stock market now, where even a massive company like Domino's can dump news that dumps the share price 30%. What safety is there in individual stocks in a world of continuous disclosure? Continuous disclosure was supposed to make the playing field flat for retail and institutional investors and brokers. All it's really done is create a trend in significant announcements rather than managed news flow. And it really does put the individual investor off holding individual stocks, I have to say. And can I just say this? For anyone thinking of buying dominoes, let me tell you, this sort of experience savagely scars fund managers who hold the shares. Some fund managers could have quite big weightings, overweights in a stock like dominoes. And when it drops 30%, it ruins their quarter and they don't forget it. And whilst you may think it is scientific, it is also emotional for fund managers. And when companies do this, institutional shareholders start making decisions and they are not buying. So if you want to buy into some childish expectation of a short-term resurrection, you go ahead. But this sort of announcement creates sellers, not buyers amongst the institutional fund managers. Sharp drops start downtrends just as sharp rises start uptrends. And we've had a sharp drop. Institutions will be turning their back on the stock without caring whether they are wrong. And their selling takes time. So you can buy the bounce if you want. Maybe there is a bounce in a lot of these things thanks to algorithm trading overdoing it in the very short term. But I wouldn't be buying into this sort of drop in a share price. Share prices fall for a reason. Buying stocks that fall a lot is a classic error for self-directed investors. One of the other errors, of course, is not being able to sell. Another error is indecision. But buying stocks that fall a lot is a classic error. Ask anybody who bought Lion Town Resources at $1.50 after it had dropped from $3. It's now $0.93. Cents. Anyway, there we go. Lessons from dominoes. The dominoes fall. Another subject today, which I think you'll find interesting, is I did, I think, read in the financial review, was it, that the CBA is as expensive as it's ever been. I thought that was interesting. So I've written a section today. Is the CBA expensive? Yes. Do you sell it? Mm, no need to. No one that holds the banks for income, particularly the CBA ahead of the interim results on February 13th and ahead of the dividend is going to be selling just because the stock looks expensive compared to history. But have a look at my section. I won't run through it all, but there is a great chart of the history of where the share price is relative to the average broker target price. And at this point in time, I've gone back 10 years. At this point in time, the share price has the biggest gap it's had in 10 years relative to the average broker target price. So yes, it looks overvalued relative to what brokers think. There's also a lovely chart of the addition of all the broker buy, hold and sell recommendations. And at the moment, there are no buy recommendations, no strong buy recommendations, only a few hold recommendations. Almost everybody's got a sell. And then you look at the PE, PE 20.4. The average over the 10 years is 15.6. 
This PE is about the highest it's been since the pandemic, since ever, probably. And you look at the dividend, it's not quite the lowest dividend yield it's been on, but it's well below the average 5.01% of the last 10 years at 3.93% at the moment. So the conclusion is that, yes, the CBO is expensive compared to history. What you do with that is up to you. As I say, most CBO shareholders are long-term income investors. And so I wouldn't let this moment of being expensive put you off. But yes, the CBA is top of its trading range. Yes, the bank sector is top of its trading range. And even amazingly for a boring sector, it is now overbought. See the chart in my section. But there is nothing terribly wrong. The other observation is that, again, have a look at the chart of the share price post earnings releases. Your share price almost always peaks just ahead of results. And we are now just ahead of results on February the 13th. So if the dividend doesn't interest you, then yes, the CBA is probably more a sell than a buy. But again, as always, react, don't predict, wait for it to start falling, wait for the market to turn over. And then yes, the CBA is probably a sell, but not if you want the income. And I'm sure if you're a long-term holder, you don't want to realize any capital gains if you've got them. And as a long-term holder, even though it does come off, the price does come off from here, it's come up from $96 to $114. So you're not talking about a huge range here. So you're not at a huge risk. But yes, it probably will come off ahead of results and after results. It usually does. And we are set up for a sell-off at this price. And I'd just like to pat Marcus on the back for buying the CBA at the bottom of the market two months ago and making, what was it, a 14% return in six weeks or so. A rare opportunity. Well done. And I've got a bit more on lithium. I noticed Chanticleer in the AFR picked up on what I was writing yesterday about the lithium price falling and how projects become unprofitable. And when they cease to be viable, it's all going to get ugly. And of course, the moment I wrote that, Pilbara Minerals and Mineral Resources start going up again. But more on lithium in my section today. I think the one takeaway, if you do read the Chanticleer article today, the one takeaway for me is that lithium pricing, as anyone who reads Henry's stuff will know, lithium pricing is not very efficient. It's done on observation rather than in a market. There is no spot market. So lithium transparency is poor. And also most lithium projects are small. It's not like iron ore or coal. Most most projects are small. And you can see quite significant supply changes if projects are closed or do come on stream. And the risk is that some projects do now cease to be viable, in which case you could well see a sharp rise in lithium. So the message is nobody really knows where the lithium price is going. It could easily recover. It's done that a couple of times before from the depths of despair. We are in the depths of despair at the moment. Don't completely write it off, but don't buy in anticipation. Wait for it to happen. Right, I've got a lot of suggestions from you, education suggestions on what topics I should cover in the podcast on education. I have decided to write a few of them up in the newsletter. And today I've got three of your questions written up in the newsletter. The first one is, what are the benefits and costs of portfolio diversification? Should we hold a diversified portfolio of shares, bonds and other asset classes and regularly regularly rebalance the portfolio? My reply is, I don't think so. If you're a Marcus Today member reading the newsletter, you are clearly interested in equities 
not bonds, property, cash, and not a balanced portfolio. If you want that, you can go to a retail super fund or you can go to an industry fund, do absolutely no work, watch nothing, and get a balanced return, and occasionally log into your portal to find out how it's going. You don't really want to bother emulating a balanced portfolio on your own by buying into other asset classes. Most Marcus Today members see shares as a game, hobby, intellectual pursuit, and they are not looking to emulate a compliance paranoid fund manager whose main game is not to F it up rather than to make money. Most members are looking to make money, and if you're looking to do that, you don't want a diversified portfolio over all asset classes. You can get someone else to do that, or you can just rely on the market using ETFs. So no, I don't think you should be diversifying across all asset classes if you're a Marcus Today members. Member I and most members are looking for the opportunity through risk and pretending we're mainstream fund managers is avoiding risk. So I want more risk, not less. I think we all do. We're looking to make money. We're not looking for safety. If you want safety, there are much better ways to do it than being a self-directed investor in individual shares, reading the Marcus Today newsletter. Another question is, what do you do when you're sitting in cash and the market is racing ahead? My reply is buy. The, the, uh, we've talked about weaknesses of individual shareholders, such as buying shares that fall suddenly, not making decisions, being fearful, emotional. But I think one of the regular weaknesses of self-directed investors are indecision. And apart from not being able to sell indecision on both sides, indecision, oh, should I buy it? Oh, should I sell it? You need to conquer that. I think what stops decision making is often fear of making a mistake. But the only way you're ever going to learn or find out what the mistakes are is to do something. Making mistakes is part of the game and you can only do your best. And I think you have to realize there's no conspiracy. The stock market is not what everyone says it is, an intellectual game where everything's done the Warren Buffett way in the long term. That is utter rubbish in my humble mind. And you just have to give it a go, do the best you can and understand. I think this is what holds people back. But when you buy something, it is not forever. It is not a big commitment. It is does not require a Buffett-esque analysis where you have to make correct assumptions about things in the long term. That's not what investment about. It, it's not forever. It is everything you buy is just until you change your mind and you're allowed to do that an hour, day, week, or a minute later. It is not a big commitment. Your risk management will look after your fear. You can sell anytime. So if you're bad at selling, then you probably are bad at buying because you think everything is long-term. It's not. Just make decisions and do something right or wrong. You'll never know for sure. And when you do that, you'll get an education. You'll get better at it. Just sitting and watching teaches you nothing. And fear is a killer. And lastly, I've got a couple of questions about hedging ETFs. Would you buy the hedged ETF or the unhedged ETF? And one member here slightly fearful of buying FANG, which we've bought in our portfolios because it's unhedged. Let me just say this. Some ETFs give you two alternatives like NDQ, hedged or unhedged. And there are other examples as well. Whether you hedge an ETF or not is almost irrelevant. You are dealing with, in the case of FANG, a very volatile, not very volatile, but a reasonably volatile price, the price of 
fang, it can move tens of percent in quite short periods of time. The currency relative to the fang price or another ETF price, the currency is a tiny consideration. If the Aussie dollar moved 10%, that would be a massive move and it would happen very slowly and it's unlikely. So whether you buy the HNDQ, which does better if the Aussie dollar goes up or NDQ, which does better if the Aussie dollar goes down, is not really the point. The point is what NDQ does. And if you're given an option, HNDQ or NDQ, well, if you want, take a view on what you think the Aussie dollar is going to do. From where it is now, 65, 66 cents, I'd probably be betting on it going up, not down. But I could be wrong. But I would probably buy HNDQ at the moment. If it was up at 75 cents and it got there in six months, I might might just be buying NDQ. But it's not the point. The point is betting on the NASDAQ is going to be volatile and the currency is a minor part of it. So I certainly wouldn't be scared of buying FANG because it's unhedged. I would be scared of buying FANG full stop, not because it's unhedged. So I just don't think the hedging is relevant at all when it comes to ETFs. Yes, if you've got a choice, well, take a, take a view, why not? But getting the underlying ETF right is all that matters, not the currency. So I wouldn't be scared of the currency at all. And it doesn't really matter whether you buy one or the other. But if you've got a choice, oh, take a view, why not? You might earn a couple of percent more or less. Right, that's about it. I haven't had time today. I've been a bit rushed today. I haven't had time today to put the portfolios in, the strategy portfolios in. As I say, we bought FANG yesterday. It's up a touch today. We bought Macquarie, which I think is down a touch today. We bought Macquarie in the Macquarie one stock portfolio yesterday. We haven't changed anything in the growth or income portfolios. They're both doing rather nicely at the moment. A lot of stocks near their 52-week highs. I have promised to tidy up the income portfolio, color a few stocks, reduce the number of stocks and up weight on the CBA. We need to do that ahead of the CBA results. So we need to get on with that. The results are on February the 13th. So some changes coming perhaps in the uh, income portfolio. Otherwise, the portfolio, whilst the market does this, the portfolios do, do fine. And our game is to pull the weeds rather than find the heroes, although we have found a few heroes. So that's about it for today. Hopefully there's a bit more education than stock ideas in there today. As I leave you, ASX 200 up 10 points. Everything's sort of sliding off a little bit, including the resources. Tech stocks getting left behind. Blocks down 5.9%. Domino's pizza down 29.7%. That IDP education had an update this week. That's still sliding away. Instech Pivot, I think, had some results. That's up 5.4%. Mineral Resources holding on to its 5% gain. ResMed up 6.5% on results. We've got an ECB meeting tonight. They will doubtless reiterate they're in no rush to raise rates. We've got a PCE price index number in the US, which is an inflation number on Friday. And then next week, we've got results from from Apple, Amazon, Alphabet, and a host of others that maybe will tell us whether we've got Fang right or wrong. That's that. As I say, Marcus Light, very quick email tomorrow morning just to make sure we've recorded the US market overnight. And then Saturday is going to be light on as well from Marcus and Henry, but there will still be a weekend newsletter. That's about that. You have a fabulous day. Market behaving itself. Let's hope this inflation number on Friday behaves itself. Mm-hmm.